0: Hello, and welcome to the 63rd episode of the Machine Ethics Podcast. In this episode, we're talking to Tim L. Sheik of nebuli.com. This episode was recorded on the 21st of June, 2021. We discussed a whole range of things like augmented intelligence, ethical AI as being the smarter AI, the importance of businesses' AI strategy and being data ready, the fact that most AI projects fail, what is consciousness and intuition, AI for biotech, and privacy as a human right. If you'd like to find more episodes of the Machine Ethics podcast, you can go to machine-ethics.net. You can contact us at hello at machine-ethics.net. You can hear from us on Twitter and Instagram at machine-ethics and machineethicspodcast. And if you're able, you can support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash machineethics. Thanks very much, and hope you enjoy. Hi, Tim. Um, thanks very much for joining me in the podcast. If you could please introduce yourself, who you are and what do you do?
1: Yeah, great to be here, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm Tim El-Sheikh, um, one of the co-founders of a company, a new startup called Nebulae. Um, we launched in 2019, but um, my main background, I used to be, well, I have been a tech entrepreneur for almost 20 years now, but before that I was a biomedical scientist. So my main background funnily enough is in medical biomedical science specialized in genomics um, cancer research but on the side I loved reading a lot about uh, neuroscience as well because um, as a medical person one of the things that we had to do is dissect human bits <laughs> including the brain so I actually held the brain between in my hands so kind of was interesting so I was always fascinated. Um, on how the human brain works, because it's such a mystery, and and I feel that people don't appreciate how complicated it is. But I've been, but I would say as a technologist, sort of a hobby hobby technologist, sort of sort of person. I've been like that since the age of ten. I learned how to code when I was about ten years old, because my father he was an engineer, so and that was like in late eighties. So uh, so I've been basically involved in tech, very much in touch with tech since the early or oh, late eighties. Um, and it wasn't until I decided to do a second degree in computer science and that I thought, you know, actually this is really my real passion. It's not medical science. So yeah. And that's how I got into the whole tech world that jumped in the entrepreneurship abyss in 2001. Yeah. And, uh,
0: here I am. Wow. So a bit of a polymath then you got, you got this business, you got the biomedical side and the computer science side. Can you yeah, pay any I- instruments?
1: <laughs> I, well, I, I used to play the piano. I love music very much, in fact, uh, but also I actually had a short stint in professional sports um, as a basketball player. Um, but unfortunately, uh, I had a nasty knee injury that basically forced me into retirement at the age of 21. So that was kind of like when I thought, OK, what do I do with myself? And that was the opportunity where I start thinking, well, you know, I can use my competitive energy in towards business and something that I, you know I, it's something I wanted to do but I never thought about doing it um this early in my life but uh yeah because I you know sports was kind of my main passion at the time still is I still work out a lot I, I love uh well because of the injury I can't do basketball anymore which is you know a shame but I do uh, martial arts I love doing MMA mixed martial arts but again mainly from the training perspective as a practitioner, not a fighter. Uh, I'm not I'm way too old for that now. So <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, I love sports and the, again it's connected to to your um to your you know sort of human physiology and indeed psychology. Um being an entrepreneur is a stressful thing. Yeah. Um so exercise and, and working out is something that I've, it's kind of like my release. Um and sometimes you know if I don't have a great day, I've got you know, a couple of punch bags at home. And I absolutely just beat the crap out of them. <laughs> it's a great, great exercise. As well, so. that really good. Yeah. That's a really
0: good advice. I, I used to do that with a drum kit. So you'd have, oh, yeah. you know, you get really annoyed about something. And it's like, bash, yeah, bash it out it up. for a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, um, so, uh, uh, thanks very much for coming on. um if you could please answer us the we have these kind of uh, questions we always ask on the podcast and one of them is uh, what is AI? <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, so that's an interesting question. I think um I think my definition is probably controversial because I look at it from a very different angle. I don't look at it from the technological perspective. I look at it from the philosophical perspective. But also, as a medical person, I see it as I said earlier. You know, I, I I studied the human brain, and it's like it seems to me when you when you look at how people define intelligence, they tend to focus on one or two elements, right? So you know, your uh, you know, some people say, for instance, your talents it's a means that you if you're a talented person, you're intelligent. Others would think that if you went to a good school, that makes you intelligent, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. But I like to look at it, and this is actually the foundation of how our company works, we look at it as a human experience because your intelligence is absolutely sort of defined by your entire human experience in life, you know, so that does include your education. It does include, um, you know, your upbringing. It does include the culture in which you've grown, Um, you know, your, you know, the work that you've done, you know, whether you play sports or you don't play sports, uh, environmental factors. I mean, there's so many elements involved that to simply say that intelligence is that, it's wrong, in my opinion. And, and uh, you know, I've been in touch with tech, as I said, since the late 80s. And I and I can't tell you how many times I've heard the promises that AI will take over humans within 10 years. Well, I've been waiting since the 80s, and I'm not seeing that yet. And I don't believe it will happen because it's not something... Unless, unless we actually understand and 100% figure out the meaning of intelligence, this idea of machines taking over humans will never happen. It will, I mean, some people are attempting it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but they're failing every time because we don't know what intelligence is. So for me, and from Nebula's perspective as a company, we look at it as a human experience as a whole. And in fact, this is why we're looking at the concept of augmented intelligence, which is kind of like the, the rival of artificial intelligence pretty much since the, you know, the conception of both the philosophies in the 50s, I think. Um, so they came up from two different research groups. So one looked at augmented intelligence, the other one artificial intelligence. And, uh, yeah, so basically it's, it's two different concepts. So we actually support the augmented intelligence because actually it's the concept that in fact delivered the digital revolution that we're seeing today, not artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence. I know this is controversial to say, but I'll say it cause it's true. It's an accessory. It's not, the, it's not, you know, to say that it is the foundation of innovation, it's wrong because it's not. It might become at some point, but it's we're we're nowhere near that yet. We need a we need some like canned, like booze and laughter on this show, don't we? Just like, <laughs> boo, yeah. get off! What is he talking about? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so- <laughs> yeah, I put, well, I I put my money where my mouth is. So when I say something, I I always back it up with something. This isn't an opinion because for me, one thing I learned about science that your opinion doesn't really matter. Facts matter. Okay. So I look at it from the factual point of view, from the historical point of view. I'm not saying that AI is not good or technologically is not significant. It is very significant, absolutely. But but what I am saying that it is not significant enough to ever replace humans because our intellectual ability is, you know, it goes far beyond our own understanding, let alone understanding of a dumb machine that does not have any emotions or brain.
0: Yeah. So when you when you say replace, are you talking about... So obviously there's stuff in your... I checked out the website for Nebulae and there's things about, you know, avoiding job replacement. Are you talking about replacement in that sort of realm or is it more to do with this idea of the singularity and either... Or Terminator, you know that the robots are going to not robots, but AI things are going to replace, literally replace us and be the next evolution. Is it this kind of idea of they're going to just take all our jobs, or you know how are you
1: saying when you say replacement? What do you mean there? Well, actually, sure both because you, you, because you do find um, two schools of thoughts on this. In fact, so you've got the singularity aspects of it. Now, even though I like the idea of singularity in the sense that you've got this central system that is so intelligent and and powerful that can h- help us solve different problems and that sort of thing. In fact, this is the vision that we have for Nebula. We want Nebula to have that central capability as well. Um, but again, not to replace humans, but augment our abilities. And I, I know we're going to be mm-hmm. talking about this in a minute as well. Um, in terms of replacing jobs, well... Again, it's not AI that replaces jobs, it's automation. But again, automation and AI are two different things. And this is the issue as well I'm seeing, what I've been seeing for the past well, 20 plus years is that um, people are confusing two, uh, these two things. Like, you know, they look at robotics, automation and AI and they put it under the same umbrella. But that's wrong, actually, because AI has nothing to do with robotics. Surprise, surprise. Robotics is engineering. Ooh, yeah. I mean, robotics is engineering, you're building a machine, but the AI is the software that you inject into the robot, right? So it's like, if, if we have to say that robots represent intelligence, well, then in that case, we should say cars also represent intelligence because cars have AI. I mean, have you seen Tesla, right? Mm-hmm. Tesla is an amazingly smart car. Um, is that but for some reason it doesn't represent AI. So, but what's the difference? What's the car and what's the robot? They're both machines but they, they've been injected with AI software. And, and I guess this is the, where the misunderstanding of AI comes into play because when you talk about, or rather you see in the news, when they talk about um, you know robots replacing humans and stuff like that, or the danger of robo-invasion or whatever, but actually it's not the robots that are dangerous. If we're talking about danger, it's the AI software because you don't need a vehicle to deliver AI software. You can deliver AI software on the cloud. Right. I mean, Facebook, what it's doing with misinformation and so on, whether it's intentional or not, of course, nobody knows that. I don't know that. Mm -hmm. Um, But certainly the spread of misinformation online is actually powered by AI. There are no robots sitting behind the computer typing away. Nonsense. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's AI. Um, You have something like deep fakes, for example. That's 100 percent. AI. I love that technology. It's a phenomenal technology. But if it's misused, it's Mm -hmm. dangerous.
0: Yeah. And again, um, to your point, that's a person misusing that technology, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's the person that misuses it. So effectively, this whole idea of having like a Skynet type situation. Well, we're still in control of the machines. If we tell machines, OK, look, we're giving you the power to decide on whether or not you should kill people. Well, you can't blame the machine for that. That's our fault. Why do we give that power to these machines to make such horrific choices? So... Right. Yeah. So this is, so, so that's why, again, AI, this idea, this AI is this autonomous entity that can take over humanity, whether it's through jobs or whatever. I mean, that's, that's actually, that's a a Hollywood interpretation of AI. The reality is actually very different. And
0: we've heard it a couple of times. So what is augmented reality or no, sorry, not augmented Augmented reality, augmented (laughs)
1: intelligence. Sorry. Yeah. Well, (laughs) so go back to well, history i'm not going to spend too much time on this but basically if you look if you go back in the 50s around the sort of late 50s early 60s obviously there are two groups of um, computer scientists and um philosophers and uh, neuroscientists and so on that were looking at this element of how machines can basically interact with humans right so you had a group that was predominantly in MIT that were looking at artificial intelligence they were following alan turings theory that we can design machines that are more intelligent than humans. Now, I personally don't think Alan Turing meant it in that way. I mean, he came from an era, which is the same era of my parents, where they actually believed genuinely that if you were to teach people, uh, or rather if you put a child in a good school or good university, they will become intelligent. So their definition of intelligence was directly related to teaching, that you teach somebody something, you teach somebody a new skill, and because of that new skill, that person becomes intelligent. Now, of course, that's not accurate. That's that's wrong. But this is the, this is a cultural thing. So it's not Alan Turing kind of believed in that. I don't believe he did. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. um, AI supporters kind of thought, well, you know, we want to bring that Alan Turing theory to life, which is basically create machines that have the ability, not necessarily just replace humans, but at least to challenge our intellectual abilities. Um, so that's artificial intelligence. But then you had another group that was... Um, led by uh, a chap called uh, Douglas um, Engelbart. And he is the one who coined the term um, augmented intelligence. And it was based on the theory that um, machines and humans can work together in a symbiotic type relationship. So in fact, it was referred to as human-machine symbiosis. So the idea was that machines, we would apply machines' abilities, like their computing power, to help us improve our own abilities, which in return help us improve the machines. And it's a continuous cycle. And collectively, we improve the human experience as a whole. And in fact, one of the key areas that they looked at, well, how do we create this symbiotic relationship? Because at the time, of course, it was all about you know just pressing these heavy buttons and they didn't even have a, I don't know if they even had a screen or a terminal, but, but it was a very ugly way of interacting with machines. So they came up with graphical user interface. They came up with the whole idea of having a mouse, right? So that's before Xerox and the Apple story and everything. That was way before that. They set the foundation to this interaction that we currently have with machines, with computers and and our phones, et cetera, which is a graphical sort of UI UX interaction. That all started off by the principles of augmented intelligence, which is basically how do you improve that human experience with machines? And I would argue that this, what has basically led us to where we are today technologically, AI didn't do that. It never has done that. And i like to use the analogy of the iPhone, for instance, right? Just, you know, uh, as an example. Why is the iPhone so successful? Is it because the human experience that we have with the phone? Or is it because of Siri? I'm going to go with the phone. (laughs) Exactly. Siri is the AI. Well, you can argue if it's a good AI or not. But the point is, what made the iPhone successful is the overall user experience with the phone, not Siri. And I I think when iPhone was released, Siri didn't even exist at the time. So they introduced Siri later. And the AI aspect of the phone kind of just added that extra spice to the experience. But it was not the core reason why the iPhone was successful. It's the overall user experience. This is augmented intelligence. And this is what we focus on. So
0: um, because I'm a bit of a pedant um, (laughs) and um, I have um, an interest in all these things. um, So I was wondering, it smells like um, expert systems and things which have slightly fallen out of favor. Would you talk about what you do in those terms or, or do you have other language to describe kind of your approach?
1: No, our approach is very different because effectively, and and you can see this on our website, the first thing you see, we we wrote this in big words, that it's people first, right? So for us, when we work with customers and even when we try to develop new technology, we never think about the technology. We think about the people, right? So we kind of work backwards. So we look at the people's behaviors in a particular situation, Asking the sort of the key philosophical questions why do they do what they're doing? For example, what we're seeing in the pandemic right now, you know, why, you know, how did the pandemic impact people's behavior, uh, or towards, or for example, their attitude towards work, towards life? That the, these sort of very deep questions, and effectively, we try to reverse engineer that. So we kind of work backwards from that. So we look at the people and then we look at the process that basically impacts. These people's behaviors and and you know their their you know whatever it is that they do based on the problem that we're solving, and then we go back and see okay w- w- which platform can be applied to achieve this process, and again, we don't le- really think about AI very much because for us AI is just a tool, uh, you know going back to the Siri example, it's a tool, um, and many times you know we had so many examples of companies coming to us say oh we want AI that can do this 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 and that, now the first thing we ask them is what is the problem they're trying to solve because when we ask Mm -hmm. them why do you think ai is going to solve that problem usually the answer is that they don't know they think that it does there's that perception that it can solve all problems Mm -hmm. but most of the time we actually solve their problems without involvement of any ai whatsoever and again that's not because ai is not useful but in that particular scenario that's not what they need that it's it's not the tool that they need but certainly Because AI is obviously built on your data strategy, because AI requires data, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: building your solution on the data strategy is very, very important. Even if you're not applying AI, you need to understand the data. So when we're analyzing all these human behaviors, looking at the processes, et cetera, we look at the data trail in this whole process. And that kind of gives us a very nice picture of where the company is going you know what it is that they're doing if something has worked or you know if it's if it's marketing for example what's the marketing data showing us where the problems lies etc cetera, et cetera. So we kind of we look at the data perspective here like a, as the blueprint but then we kind of provide a solution so that should they require ai in the future well guess what they already have the foundation to apply some kind of ai tool or automation tool to improve that process and so that's how we like to work so we're not just focusing on the tech we focus on the people and the problem that the company is facing because it's usually related that's the key relationship here not the machine and the people machine is just a solution so
0: um it struck me when we came to speak because obviously you have all this language on your website which is um really pro kind of you know things i'm interested in and mm. um things that lots of people um, in this area, are looking at, uh, and I've got some air quotes. Um, you can't see on the podcast, but air quotes. So responsible AI is mentioned, and and these sorts of like human centred and things like that. So mm. how does like responsible AI and human centred and
1: and these sorts of things come into the work that you're doing? Well, it's it's centered around the whole um, digital ethics um, aspects, right? So because for us again. I think we, we had this conversation earlier that how, you know, the danger of AI is the fact that if we don't allow it to, or rather if we don't control it, right, it, it can just completely go crazy, right? So for instance, misinformation. Now I'm not accusing any companies of anything here, right? But the problem is that when you, they, they're simply applying a recommendation system if you think about it, right? So effectively they look at the keywords um, that you're searching for, for example, And they just try to bring content around that keyword. Now, there is no intelligence there, right? So even though you have people say, but as machine learning, blah, blah, blah. Well, machine learning does not equate intelligence. Yeah, it's learning that you're using that particular term X number of times. Yes, they're combining it with some other words that you're using, using some ontology um, behind all this process. But again, it's not about understanding the context. Understanding the context is one thing. Simply putting together keywords is a totally different thing. But the problem is that people apply these algorithms as if they do understand the context, but they don't. That's the key point. Yet they've given they've been given this power to allow, to autonomously spread information that is, I, well, it, it's been going on for a long time. And I remember um, there was a report, I think, that was published by the World Economic Forum in 2012, I think. So quite a long time ago when the whole conversation of misinformation was starting to emerge, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a a key talking point as it is right now. But even at that time, the World Economic Forum warned that if we don't take control of misinformation, it will destroy societies. And I wish people listened to that because we look, look where we are right now. Um, So yeah, I mean, this is the problem. So for us, when we apply any algorithms that we work you know, whether with a customer or the work that we're doing, we try to kind of think, again, putting people first, right? We try to think from the point of view of, well, if we allow this algorithm do what it does, what is the potential impact of that? Mm -hmm. And how do we mitigate that? How do we work with that? And that's why I say that ethical AI is a smarter AI, because effectively you have to teach machines ethics, quote unquote, right? Right. Um, Obviously, they don't understand. I mean, this is a machine. You you might as well teach a brick the meaning of (laughs) ethics. They don't understand. So it's really about building additional algorithms that basically can work around these problems and ask more difficult questions. And it does involve a lot of extra work, which I think is the reason why some companies try to kind of not bother about ethics. And I've seen some companies say ethics is an obstacle, which to me, that's a a bit of a, a, a concerning thing to see. Um, But certainly, yeah, I mean, if you you really want to apply ethics in your digital strategy, there's a lot of extra work that needs to be done. But at the end of the day, I would argue ethical AI is the smarter AI. It's not about virtue signaling. It's not about being, quote unquote, woke or whatever the hell that means. (laughs) It it is actually about building smarter solutions that, in fact, serve your customers really, really well. Uh, Ultimately, as a business, as an entrepreneur, that's what I'm focusing on.
0: Yeah. And hopefully you want that to be like your um, competitive advantage, right? So that Mm -hmm. in the market, it will work its way out that actually customers and uh, people will want the the, the added extra. The the better product is the product that performs Mm -hmm. more widely and doesn't, you know, miss out certain people or or, um, work badly for other people. Or, you know, there's also all these things that maybe could go wrong when you're Mm -hmm. maybe... A bit more um uh, less focused on the ethical side, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, but and also it builds trust. I think mm-hmm. I think there is evidence now that consumers are losing trust in the tech sector, and that's a concern because obviously I'm a tech entrepreneur. So if if and I and I'm telling you, I kind of been there before because I, I became an entre- entrepreneur in 2001, literally just after the dot com <laughs> burst, right? And that yeah. was terrible timing. But actually no, I actually I wanted to get in there because that was you know, when you when you see when you see blood on the street, that's when you start looking for opportunities, right? It's a horrible analogy, but this is kind of how it is in in, in the business world. But um, but yeah, I mean that it was definitely. I remember that time when I, when I told people that I was a dot com. That was the term people used. I was a mm. dot com entrepreneur. Everybody was like, ah, stay away from me. <laughs> um, it was funny actually. But yeah, no. But my concern, like on serious note, that I'm seeing that now, mm. especially mm. with AI. Um, which is a shame because, like I said, you, you see companies now walking away from AI. They say, oh, it's all BS. And and, and again, you have to blame some of the AI suppliers because they overpromised and they've mm-hmm. overhyped the whole thing in such a way that now people lost trust. Um, and the MIT Sloan um, report that was published, I think, in October 2020, uh, so fairly recent report, they said that from their studies, they've seen that only 10% of Res- uh, um, of AI projects achieved any reasonable return, 10%. That's 90% failure rate. And that's not surprising. I mean, like, you know, I, I've seen, I've been, I mean, like, if you go to our website, you, you'll see that we've been going on about this since, since we launched in two, you know, mm-hmm. 2019. But I've seen this even before that, that AI failure, people spend so much money on quote, unquote, AI, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. And they've lost a lot of money as a result. And they lost confidence in that. And to me, That's a big concern, of course, for me, because, you know, effectively, although I I don't like to label Nebula as an AI company because we're not. But certainly we are affiliated with AI nonetheless. So that's a concern. Mm -hmm. But also, again, going back to my experience with the Internet when it was, you know, when it was evolving, you had so many companies back posted dot com boom and bust that walked away from the Internet and say, oh, that was such a fad, you know, like the blockbusters of this world. Right. Mm -hmm. Yet you had companies like Netflix that tripled down. Guess what happened to Blockbuster? And guess what happened to Netflix? So AI is actually in that same sort of position. So even though I'm kind of being a bit critical, by the same time, you know, I'm I'm trying to be balanced. And again, this is based on facts as well. Mm -hmm. AI technology is truly phenomenal. Right now, we've reached a point where AI can deliver a lot more than it could ever do before. And therefore, as a company, you need to at least to start to have some kind of data strategy and some kind of AI strategy. Even if it's not right now, that's okay. But you need to be ready apply some kind of ai solution in your business because guess what if you don't you're going to be the blockbuster of the future companies that are investing in ai right now in one shape or form they're going to be the future success um stories and if your competitors basically take ai you don't you're screwed you're out just just count the days for your death basically as a business right. i've been blunt about it, right? that's the reality and that's my concern that mm-hmm. people now kind of see ai as a fad and because of that they're losing out. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help with that. We say, look, it's not a fad. Yes, there have been failures, there've been crazy promises, but that's that's technology. That that's mm-hmm. how technology works. There's always hype, there's always craziness, but you need to kind of look at the the opportunity there. And indeed the opportunity is absolutely massive right now.
0: Yeah. So I feel like you've you've said two contradictory things there, which is yeah. <laughs> most AI projects fail and your business is going to do badly if you don't invest in AI. So yeah, it, it, you have to crazy. pay the smart money yeah. and you have to uh, mm-hmm. presumably, uh, like you're saying with your data strategy, That I mean, that's good advice, right? To, to look mm-hmm. at your data strategy, what what data you have, w- what data you can get hold of, but also being conscious of, you know, um, both your ethical standing, but also, you know, law, you know, GDPR and, and other things coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, possibly transitioning um, using you know maybe looking at nebulae uh, other companies which are maybe looking at AI as you, you know you keep saying things like tool and you know part of equations and stuff like that, maybe using AI as a enabler, let's say um, mm-hmm. instead of like the strategy like the whole picture is not AI um, mm-hmm. or machine learning or expert systems or you know whatever we're going to say AI is, <laughs> or, you know, whatever the purpose of the technology is going to be at the, uh, for the, for whatever ends. Mm. I have said a lot there and I'm not sure what the ending of that is, but.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I thought I'll tackle two points because yeah. in terms of the contradiction, I mean, this, again, that's the nature of technology. Like with the internet, people said the internet was a horrible, bad thing, yet people had to invest in it in order to become successful. So that's just, that again, that's the reality of technology. And in fact, that's the reality of science. Um, you know, there's so many controversial things in science, especially medical science. So you say, oh, this is really controversial, but we have to do it in order to achieve whatever we need to achieve. Mm-hmm. So AI is the same. And, and again, and I would say one I think I mentioned earlier that, that there's because of this misunderstanding of what AI is and what it is not, that's the reason behind the failures in the AI project. So people basically invested in AI, expecting it to do something that it probably cannot actually do. But at the same time, they completely missed the point of the things that it can do. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about AI strategy, it's about, you know, I hate to use this word educating the market because it's condescending. But -hmm. but it's really about, I guess, informing the market, showing them that, look, this is what AI is and this is what it is not. Right. AI can do this for you. And if this is what you need absolutely invest in that because absolutely it will transform your business if, if not in the short term then in the long term mm-hmm. so it's really, and this is why which what, part of the work which we're doing in, in 2021 um which is you know we do quite a lot of pr campaigns and uh, you know we, we're thinking of you know launching our own podcast even <laughs> um and really we want to just have have an honest open conversation about what ai is and and it's not really about being technical. There's already some amazing podcasts out there that talk about the technical and mathematical stuff about AI or whatever. We don't want to do that. We feel like we need to start talking to the regular person, right? And I think it's important that we do that now because AI is impacting the regular person. So it's not a corporate thing anymore. It's not a business thing anymore. It's actually everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yet the general public totally don't know what AI is. They still think it's Terminator right? So we need to start talking to the general public very openly. When I say we, I'm talking about people who are involved in AI. That's why we want to do it. We're we're starting now and say, you know, we're putting ourselves out there, you know, we throw tomatoes at us or whatever, fine, you know, fair enough. But at the end of the day, I think as a community, we need to start to educate the world about the realities of AI, the opportunities, the good side, the bad side and the ugly side, right? Um, Which kind of leads me to then in terms of the data strategy, because again, having an AI strategy is not just about saying, okay, you know, what do we not, what do we need it to automate or whatever? Mm. No, it's, it's way more complicated like that. Because for example, if you're a sort of company and you'd be surprised how many companies they are that use Excel sheets as a database, right? As a start. I think now, that's that most companies, really... right? Right? <laughs> <Sorry? laughs> I think that's most companies, right? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to name names, but yeah. <laughs> but now, but for example, that is already a problem. So then you need to have so the data strategy in this case is that okay, firstly, what why do you use well not why, but okay, if you've got a particular structure in your database within Excel, well, how can we improve that? Do we need to migrate it to the cloud? Most likely you do. Okay, then which cloud infrastructure do you need? And that already creates so many technical and infrastructural changes that you need to apply first before you even start talking about AI. Because these things alone, like there's one company, for example, came to us with the same typical thing. Oh, we need AI that can do this, 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 and that. And I said, well, what's the problem? Well, the problem they had is that it's an investment company. So the problem they had is that they were trying to look for investment opportunities and generate leads, investment leads, Mm -hmm. and so on. And they would spend a long time searching through their data. And on average, they would find like five investment opportunities per week. And and each investment opportunity is worth around 50K, 100K, which is nice. I was like, wow, five per week, that's brilliant. But they said, yeah, yeah, but we're spending way too much time. We don't want to spend time searching. We want AI to do it for us. And I'm like, okay, so we, you know, we worked with them and we decided, okay, let's look at your database. Where's your database? Oh, it's an Excel sheet of 35 million records. (laughs) <laughs> oh my God. I almost had a heart attack. I'm like, you what now? Um, and we're like, well, there's your problem. right? right. Let's firstly get rid of that. Forget, let's put AI to the side right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. And let's just focus on this. So we worked with them for a few months, came up with a data strategy, migrated their database to the cloud. We've added my tiny bit of automation here and there for searching for better searching, that kind of stuff. I wouldn't call that AI. Mm-hmm. And that, absolutely transformed their business, right? So now they're generating 200 leads a week instead of five. Wow. Where's the AI? Was there a need for AI? No. And that's the point I'm trying to make here. Yep. And this is what we tell our customers all the time. Like, Ooh. look, yeah, let you come to us for AI, whatever, that's great, but let's actually look at the problem. What is the problem? And from their point of view, in this particular example, yeah, the guys were like, you know, you know as humans, they're fed up. They don't enjoy their jobs anymore because they have to search, search through all these horrible Excel sheets or whatever. So, so we have to look at it from the human perspective. Well, okay, well, what do you really want? We don't want to search anymore. All right, we noted that. So we want, to, or we want to do minimal search. We just actually want to analyze and look at the, you know, the, the sort of some analytics and that sort of stuff about their data and about their leads and that kind of stuff. That's more interesting than just searching. So we've noted all of these things, so we could put that into account. But then also we looked at the, the structural problem that they were facing, which is the data structure, and, and how do we then move it to the cloud and that sort of thing. So that is, again, going back to the point that I said earlier, the human experience. So this is the experience of the employees. How do they become more productive? How can they enjoy the work that they're doing? And as I said, without any AI, it's just simply tweaking their infrastructure now they're generating two on average 200 leads per week without any ai but mm-hmm. this is one final point if they choose to add ai tools for whatever reason well guess what they're ready to do that they've got the infrastructure they're, they're basically data ready to apply ai as and when they choose to do it which mm-hmm. is great and that's the point
0: yeah and i think that's um that was something that i feel like people need to catch up to because it's you know a couple of years ago we were talking about how companies can utilize some of this stuff coming in and it was definitely about that whole um, problem of you know siloed data, data existing in lots of different places, data being in the wrong format, um, data being a different uh, types uh, and being coming in down the pipe and not being saved or you know all these different things that you can uh, facilitate the shape of that into something which is Uh, hopefully just more useful like you were saying but also you could take advantage of some analysis some automation um, Mm. you know just just minimal things to make everyone's life better Um, and then you know you can maybe start thinking about applying uh, neural networks or whatever to to pull out some interesting information maybe mm. you know mm. but maybe that doesn't mm. work but you, over here is actually you know your whole job has become easier or, or more um efficient or whatever uh, is that kind of um it it's interesting that that's kind of like the vision and we're still not necessarily there yet with a lot of different companies um
1: who could be leveraging that sort of um those
0: techniques and that kind of structure
1: yeah. I mean, and, and, and the interesting thing is, I mean, you know, it's not innovation. This isn't our idea. This is just how it's supposed to be. And that's why I, I just don't get it why so many AI companies don't focus on that. And this is a question you have to ask them, I guess. But I, I just don't understand the logic because obviously it's kind of like saying, for instance, <laughs> using a different analogy. It's kind of like saying that you, you want to learn how to drive. And the first thing you do, you want to drive a Ferrari, but you haven't even got driver's license. I'm like, well, yeah, you know, you've got to, you have to take all the steps to achieve. It's a journey, isn't it? It's like, you have to no, take I'm just all. I'm going to buy next- a Ferrari. I'm going to buy one, and that's it.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, even if, if you don't drive, I don't care, right? You just, just, yeah, yeah, park it in your in your front room or something like that. <laughs> but, um, but that's the thing. It's like it, it, it's a journey. AI is effectively a journey, right? And it's a journey that it is actually an exciting journey, and I think. I think the problem is that, again, it's people that think the AI is the solution for everything. I can't remember, there's a report. I, I think it was, don't quote me on that, but I think it was probably the McK- McKenzie's. I'll try and find it. I'll, I'll email it to you, though. Um, but it was a report that they just asked um, senior executives of companies about their perception of AI. And there was one quote in there that I, just really made me chuckle a little bit, that they were saying that yeah, th- there was a big percentage, like 80, I think, percent Um of executives are very disappointed that AI is not the solution for everything. And I literally, they said, a solution for everything. And I was like, well, there's your problem. Why do they think that AI is a solution for everything? That is the problem there. If we can solve that, that already can change so many different projects. And hopefully, instead of having only 10% success rate, as MIT said, it, we can have 90% success rate if people don't think like that. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what we're trying to do, at least to try to inform as many businesses and people and companies as we possibly can to to understand that actually, you know, AI is not the solution for everything. Mm -hmm. But boy, if you do need AI, if indeed, if you have a problem that AI can solve, you absolutely should jump on that because it will transform your business. And if you don't, as I just said, Mm -hmm. even the process, the change that you have to apply in your company to To become, quote unquote, AI ready, yep. that alone can transform your business. And I think this is something that people need to understand.
0: So I've got a very, very different question now. Um, and it, it comes from the fact that you have this kind of biomedical background. And you were saying before we got onto the onto the mics that um, you have this interest in uh, neuroscience. Yeah. Uh, I'm just interested in, in your thoughts around the, you know, what we we're saying before about your interest in neuroscience as well. And we have this kind of brain substrate, let's say, to give it some kind of unemotional technical terms. Uh, we have this substrate and we have this kind of mechanical substrate. And do you use, what do you see um, or what, what do you think the, the difference is between, you know, brain as software, brain as this thing that exists within our head with neurons and the dichotomy there, because obviously there's going bridging all the way back to this idea of the singularity we briefly touched on at the beginning. This idea that machines will become intelligent in a way that is um, firstly useful, but then possibly self-aware or something that we can um, bridge across to um, and this becomes it, it sounds science fiction but um <laughs> it's it's almost an interesting philosophical point mm-hmm. you know how um, think about yourself in this embodied situation with this brain that does things and how do you think about the differences between you and you know something um to, uh, digital mechanical um and what are the differences that
1: well, <laughs> probably, <laughs> I don't know, because there is a field called AGI, which is uh, Artificial General Intelligence, um, which, is, which is a hugely ambitious project, which is basically how do we create machines um, that effectively have that general knowledge of life, general knowledge of humanity and that sort of thing, right? Um, but again, that, although I absolutely, again, I love the work that's been put in there because, I mean, they're seriously pushing boundaries with that. And and I, I, I love it. I, I I know I think I I mean I mean I don't know if for example DeepMind, if they see themselves as AGI company. Um, I'm not sure, but 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 certainly they you know they, they build their algorithms on the basis that they want their AI systems to have this overall knowledge of everything as much as possible. Now, some might argue, well, why do you need that? Well, I would argue from the technical perspective, you you're creating machines that have this super powerful computing capabilities that in fact can be used for useful things. Mm-hmm. Um, not games necessarily, but for example, what they've done recently, uh, which, is a, which is fantastic news as a, as a medical scientist, is that they could use algorithms to um, predict folding of protein molecules. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that is massive. I mean, I, people, people who don't know, you know the significance of that, this is true, if, if they can consistently do that correctly, this will absolutely change our understanding of structural biology, um, you know, drug production, um, analyzing viruses for future pandemics, because there will be future pandemics. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that is truly phenomenal stuff. I mean, I'm very, as you can tell, I'm excited about that. Um, and it's built, I guess, on the principles of AGI from the technical perspective, mm-hmm. right? So so this, I think it's a, it's a nice example where, you know, you challenge the machines to try and Effectively mimic humans because they are mimicking humans, right? This isn't, uh, you know, sort of goes back to the other point of your question. You know, you know, what are the similarities? Well, again, there are no similarities. These are machines. They don't understand what they're doing. They're simply doing what we're telling them to do. So I can write a program right now that, for example, it would ask you a question, say, "Hey Ben, how are you doing today?" And you say, "I don't feel that well today," and machine starts crying and saying, "Oh, Mm -hmm. sorry for you." Well. Does that mean that the machine literally understands that you're sad? It doesn't. It's simply a program I wrote for it to simulate mm-hmm. that it understands you're sad, but it doesn't understand Jack's squat, <laughs> right? It's it's a machine. Um, so, so this idea that you have AGI that somehow could become self-conscious, or whatever, what, what is consciousness? We don't even know what consciousness is. As scientists, we don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's one area that, uh, although I know absolutely nothing about, but I kind of like to read about it because it's fascinating. Um, where you have quantum physicists, they're looking at um, things like biophotons and 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 basically the subatomic level of your brain to look at anomalies, weird anomalies that we just don't understand that somehow play a role in your emotional intelligence, in your consciousness, and that sort of thing. I mean, whoa, okay. I mean, so how can we even even anticipate this idea that somehow machines will become conscious? I mean, I, I just don't believe that or don't, I mean, it can't, right? Unless we figure it out, mm-hmm. that's not going to something, that's something we can do anyway. Not to mention there are computing limitations. I mean, we're still kind of using the binary infrastructure, which is still, you know, again, generally, even we're, we're looking at um, this as a limitation potentially that because if you look at AI, you know, to to use really really simple terms, it's kind of like a multi dimensional um, operation. Yet we're relying on a binary hardware to achieve the computing capabilities to do that. That's it's it's unsustainable, mm-hmm. right? Hence, I am like crossing my fingers that quantum computing soon will become mainstream, because quantum computing, I honestly believe, is going to absolutely open up amazing opportunities for AI, augmented intelligence, and perhaps it will allow us to start digging into this whole consciousness, you know, at least understanding the meaning of consciousness. And, you know, kind of like what, you know, DeepMind did with the uh, um, protein folding, we might be able to reveal some of the secrets of life that we don't understand. But again, does that mean that will be translated into the machines? I don't really think so. Mm-hmm. Still, I'm not convinced. Um we're not there yet. It's it's really based on our knowledge because, again, looking at the human brain, as I said earlier, the thing that fascinated me because, you know, when I held it in my hand, it was just like a blob of fat <laughs> with lots of like stuff in there. Like, how the heck this thing creates the most intelligent being on earth right now? That's truly absolutely blew my mind. And then that, let's not forget, obviously, there are genetic factors as well that's that's a whole that's a whole discussion of its own right mm. um you know you know gene- genetics is basically code if you think about it it's, it's it's code of life we still don't understand a lot of things about that you know uh where did the logic of that code come from because it is logical right somebody wrote it i suppose if you're a religious person you say it's god i don't do religion i'm not a religious person so but certainly what i do see in genetics that there's some kind of intelligence behind that where is that intelligence I mean wow I mean where do we go with this <laughs> so, um, our as humans I think our knowledge of intelligence as I said earlier as well that it, it's so limited that no matter how much we try to depict it with AGI or augmented intelligence or whatever we're not going to be anywhere near this idea that we're going to develop some culture or rather conscious machines um, that will you know, or this this singularity mm. um, entity that will just become so powerful that it will think, oh, well, actually, no, I don't need humans anymore. I could just do things myself. No, it can't unless we give it the instructions to do that. But then that's that's on us. That's not on the machine. Mm.
0: It's not going to like decide one day to do that.
1: No. Well, it's a, a, well, how do machines decide things, anything these days? It's mathematical calculation. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? We make decisions based on so many other elements, emotions, experience, right. Um, and and mathematical calculations as well. But, you know, but these two elements, you know, emotions, for example, that it's such a big part of our, of our decision-making process, intuition, define intuition. We don't know what intuition is. Where does intuition come from? But intuition makes uh, plays a huge role in our decision-making process. So again, how can we allow machines to make decisions? life-changing decisions even right without these other elements that we just don't know anything about
0: Mm-mm. I, I was reading a book recently um, which I'm going to be writing a review of um, which is uh, very much along the lines that you're talking about and the kind of whole notion of the super intelligence and um you know thinking like humans and stuff like that and mm-hmm. I feel like this idea of intuition is really interesting because we don't necessarily know how we do it Mm. But we, we could probably have a go. Like I feel like it's almost like people are stepping back and saying, well, it's magic, essentially, at this point. like I don't think it is. I think it's like my having a go here, right? Mm. Having a stab in the dark is basically a simulation. Like we are hardwired to simulate things and pick the best mm. option. And I think mm. intuition is, you know, we've got this prior, right? It's like if I throw a ball, right, I could probably simulate from my prior knowledge of balls and environments and things like that, that something is going to occur. Right? It might not be exact, but I think that the this is this is where I differ. So my <laughs> my 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 intuition here is that I don't think maybe AGI is going to be impossible, but I don't think that we have any idea how it will look right Mm -hmm. um and whether it will be possible in before we blow up the world for other reasons basically i think Mm -hmm. there's there's Mm -hmm. other things that will probably happen first um Mm -hmm. which is a whole other uh much darker episode probably uh which we (laughs) won't go into right now um i'm obviously having a pessimistic
1: morning uh (laughs) Um, but you've been right. very uh, optimistic. That's so. an important point, though. I mean, I think, I think and this is the point yeah. I made earlier as well, that we, we need to be honest about these things. I think we've got to look at the good, the bad and the ugly side of yeah. AI. Because absolutely, I mean, if we, again, I don't know how true that is, but I have read reports that basically, I think the US um, government is trying to create autonomous drones. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I assume like literally basically they're allowing drones to decide whether or not to kill somebody, right? You know, I mean, if if you I mean how because how, how do you even go there? I mean, how for example, go kill terrorists. Yeah. How yeah, yeah, do yeah. you do that? Yeah. Which means like, see, I, you know, look at my complexion, right? The way I look, or <laughs> right, it could say, oh, Tim is a terrorist, he shouldn't, <laughs> right? I mean, that's that's you know, this is the reality. And I think yeah. this is the point. I mean, right now. We're nowhere near this idea that I don't care, you know, even with quantum computers, as we that based on what we have right now, the technology that we have right now, we're nowhere near this ability of creating machines that can make that have some kind of develop their own intuition.
0: Mm-hmm. We're nowhere
1: near that yet. But I think the problem is that we humans, we we kind of there's this desire that we want these machines to do that. And I think unfortunately, if we if we we allow these desires kind of to somehow obscure our common sense. Um, like, Cause I'm trying to be diplomatic here. Yeah, Cause it's yeah. kind of like we're, you know, we're so excited. I mean, you know, as a scientist, as a technologist, I'm very excited about having machines that can think for themselves. I mean, I know I'm not against the concept, but again, it doesn't, but it doesn't mean that we have to rush it. I think we mm. don't need to rush. I think that's the key point here. We don't have to rush. Um, and like, for example, one of the things that we've, we've a big decision we made, in fact, um, that kind of surprises people, that we decided not to go for investors, for instance, right? Um, so we're fully self-funded and um, self-financed. And the key reason for that, because investors, and rightly so, this is what investors do, mm-hmm. they want companies to grow fast. And I think sometimes one of the reasons a lot of these AI companies, they over-promised and they try to grow really quickly and stuff, because they have, that responsibility towards their shareholders, that shareholders didn't put money for the company to take its sweet time to grow in 10 years time. Uh, but the thing is, this is what AI needs right now. AI, we're not in a position to accelerate development of AI because we just, like there's so much, as I said before, we just don't understand you know, the consequences of this. We're already seeing some consequences right now. And, it's, and it's, if you think about it, it's just a recommendation system on social media. What's the big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Well, look what's happening in politics right now. That's, that's an example. I mean, the, the, the thing that happened, the, the massacre that happened in Myanmar, for example, that's a result of that too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so it's a simple algorithm if you think about it, but the consequences are absolutely dire if we, don't, if we don't think about it properly. And I think that's what we're calling for. Take your time. We don't need to rush. You know, this technology is not going anywhere. You know, it's been around since the 50s, for crying out loud, right? It's not going anywhere. It's, it's getting better. We're getting better at it. We understand it more. But also, I think, at least for me personally, because I, I got into AI f- for such a long time, you know, that interest in neuroscience became more serious to me. And, but also, I became, you know, became more interested in, in, huma- in humanity as a whole, right? In humanism. I started interest, like you know, I became more interested about my own sort of mental health, my kids' mental health, and I started looking about all these things that I never even thought about before. And thanks to AI, I started to think about these things. And I think this is what again we we're we're calling for that we're calling for the for people like you know the users, Mm -hmm. developers, governments to take take an opportunity by by studying AI to start really studying humanity a little bit more. because there's a lot more, because there's so, like I said, this is, I guess, the augmented intelligence philosophy. There's so much that AI and machines can help us improve in ourselves. And in return, we can improve these machines equally. And it's just this symbiotic relationship will just go on um, you know, in a more positive direction, I think.
0: Um, well, thank you so much. Um, I feel like that's a more positive than what I was saying earlier, uh, <laughs> way to kind of bridge the ending. We always have this question, which is uh, what excites you, and what scares you about AI and our mediated future? And Mm. it might be that we've already talked about some of these things. I just wanted to know if you had anything to add on that basis.
1: Well, what scares me is it's the point that I just made that I think governments and institutions are rushing into making AI into something that is way more powerful than it it needs to be. Mm. Um, Certainly we're not ready for the consequences. And again, the evidence is out there, don't take my word for it, but certainly the technology is not ready to, to be given that level of responsibility to control our lives in that way. So we're not, as I said, we're, we're nowhere near that yet, but my concern that we have people who don't understand AI making major decisions about that. Yeah. That's and the problem.
0: And what's the, what other thing are you excited about?
1: Well, again, well, I suppose, well, perhaps two things. And um, again, Because I'm a medical scientist, I I keep in touch with the medical side of things. So I I think, you know, I alluded to um, the protein folding um, achievement from DeepMind. I mean, that opens up some phenomenal opportunities if it works. um, And and I believe they allowed third parties to kind of use their algorithms to do similar things. So that's brilliant um, because major innovations have to come from collaboration. You can't, you know, it's not one entity doing everything. So so I think that's great, actually. Um, So I'm very excited about that. I think if if AI becomes more useful and productive in biotech, then, you know, the the pandemic has shown that we're in absolute desperate need to have some kind of preparation for future pandemics. Mm -hmm. I mean, COVID, and I speak this as a medical person is a bad virus but it's not that bad to cause the chaos that we've experienced. I mean, if we, imagine if it was like Ebola, for instance. I mean, goodness me, right? Yeah. Um, but because we were so ill-prepared or even not prepared at all for anything like that, I think AI can actually help us with this in a major way. It can help us speed the production of drugs, vaccines, and we've seen that right now, but I think there's a lot more room for improvement there as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited about that. And that, from the biotech perspective, AI is already proving itself to be a very useful tool. And I'm hoping that we can see more investments and, you know, we're kind of trying to get into that as well. Um, so it's kind of close to home for me, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And the other exciting news, um, though it's not a technological thing, but it's more of a, I suppose, change of heart. is seeing companies like Apple son- now pushing for privacy for seriously mm-hmm. now. Um, I was very happy when I heard it. Oh, well, I was happy uh, when I think it was Tim Cook that mentioned it the first time that they see user privacy as a human right. And I think he said that uh, in a speech he made in 2018, I think it was uh, to the European Commission. And yeah, I was like, yeah, okay, it sounds nice, or right, whatever. I, I want action. And they definitely have started taking action. Obviously, Facebook, I really peed off with them. So that, that's already shows that they are taking serious action. And uh, recently in WWDC, they made that point yet again, that uh, privacy is human, it's a human right, Mm -hmm. and they have to respect it. And all of the new updates that they're releasing right now have very strict user privacy settings. And I think it's brilliant. And I think there's a lot more that needs to be done. So the fact that we have this major player, which is Apple, is pushing for that. I am hoping that then the other players will start following suit. Um, They will resist. But Apple done two things similar in the past that was hugely controversial. A lot of companies were complaining, but eventually people just had to follow because it, it has that powerful position in the market. So I'm hoping, I guess I, I'm excited and hopeful that, you know, user privacy now, it's, it will become something that is, um, that is taken taken more seriously, not just by companies, but I'm hopefully hopeful, but the users themselves, um, because like, Carissa said privacy is power. Amen to that.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, and thank you Carissa for that one. Yes. Um, check out her great book. Um, so thank you so much for spending this time with us, Tim. It's been really a joy. Thank you very much. Um, if people want to
1: find you, follow you, contact you, how do they do that? Um, well, just go to our website. So it's Um And all of our social media handles is Nebuli. So Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, all nebulae Um, because we're we're still new, so we're we're trying our best to post more stuff. Um, But soon we're we're also putting together a YouTube channel so we can have these sort of conversations like Mm -hmm. what we have here. But we want to talk with um, authors, philosophers, but again, not about being technical, but about really talking in in a sort of in a normal English language that everyone can understand to make sure that people truly understand the meaning of AI and how it impacts their lives whether you're a business owner or an individual, just normal, you know, regular Joe from the street. Everybody needs to understand AI right now.
0: Cool. Awesome. And we'll have the links when they appear on the episode page. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much, Tim. Thank you, Ben. Hi, and welcome to the end of the podcast. Thanks again to Tim for coming on and sharing. A whole host of ideas and topics with us. Um, I really like the kind of really eclectic nature of this episode. Uh, it was really pleasure to talk to Tim and go on these kind of flights of fancy into these different areas. Um, you know, all that kind of overlap in the landscape of AI technology and bordering it into kind of, you know, what it means to be human and all the way back to practical things about um, implementation and business and stuff like that so really fun and interesting episode we did mention uh, Carissa's episode which is episode 50 privacy and the end of data economy so check that out wherever you get your podcasts or machine-ethics.net please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash machine ethics and thanks again for listening i'll see you next time